Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew the ninth chapter. As we continue, I began a series last week, uh, just for three weeks last week, today, next Sunday, called Kingdom Builders. It's our, uh, it's our way we respond to the needs it's, 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 uh, that are all around us. And really, I think it's a way we respond to the opportunity. If someone say opportunity. You know, there's a saying that says that the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. You don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you have ever had points in life where you look back on a moment and you said, I wish I would have done something then? You don't have to raise your hand. Can you identify with that? Have you ever had a moment in your life, an opportunity that came and, and you realized later, I should have done something? I could have done something. I had an opportunity. I wish I could get that one over. We know what that's like. And Kingdom Builders is allowing us to partner with some of the greatest ministries around the planet and right here locally. And for us to win more people to Jesus more quickly than we could, it allows all of us to be a part of this and partner with God. It's what really matters. On the bottom line, when we stand before God in heaven, I want you to think of this. What are the things that are going to matter? What are the things that are going to, that, that we want to have said and done when we stand before the Lord? It's not a lot of things we give all our attention to, but giving the good news of Jesus to people that are hurting, that's something we're going to be glad that we've done. Making sure that we did the best with the opportunities that were ours. And everybody, someone say everybody, everybody doing what they can. Not comparing one person to another, but all of us praying and saying, God, what's my part in getting this gospel to North Alabama, to America, and around the world? Well, I want you to look at something, and, and I want you to, 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 to just grasp the, the gravity of what God has trusted us to do. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, it's amazing to me in this ninth chapter. I'm going to read some verses. But just in one chapter. Let's look at uh, a chapter in the life of Jesus. All right. So we begin chapter 9. And, and uh, the Bible says he's been preaching and ministering. And returns to the vicinity of his hometown. And when he arrives there. There's a paralyzed man that's there. That's brought before him. And so they bring this paralyzed man before Jesus and he looks at him and he, he, he says, uh, son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders are all up in the air and they say, you're blaspheming. You can't forgive sins. Of course, they're talking to Jesus. And he said, your sons are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And they say, well, you're a blasphemer. And he said, well, just to show you that I have authority to forgive sins on earth, he told the paralyzed man, stand up and walk. And the paralyzed man stood up and walked. And people praised God. So then he goes on. The next thing we read about in this chapter is that uh, he comes across Matthew the tax collector. Now, nobody was more popular than Matthew the tax collector. He was a Jew collecting taxes for the occupying armies of Rome. His family had disavowed him. His friends had left him. He lived a lonely, solitary life. He was considered public enemy number one. And Jesus goes up to Matthew, the tax collector, and says, I want you to lay down your old life and come follow me. And Matthew gave his life to Jesus. Do you know there's some real hard cases around us? Everybody listening to me? There's some people you wouldn't think would care about Jesus, but you'll never know till you give them an opportunity. 
You'll never know what's going on in their life. And so Jesus says, Matthew, come follow me. And he walks off and follows him. So that night, Matthew throws a big celebration at his house and invites Jesus and the disciples. And Matthew's telling all of his ungodly friends about Jesus. It's kind of like, uh, I, I don't know what I would call it like. I, I don't know what, you know, I don't frequent these places, so I don't know the names. But it's like the biggest, baddest nightclub in Huntsville. And, and, and the guy that owns it gets saved during the day. And so he tells the local pastor and, 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 and the pastors and the deacon board, Hey, I'm so excited. I'm saved. I want you to come out to my place tonight and I'm going to have a party to celebrate Jesus. And so the pastor walks in and the deacons walk in and the, and the other pastors walk in and, and, and they're not playing just as I am. And amazing grace isn't on the soundtrack. Anybody with me right now? And, and, and some people aren't dressed like they're going to church. And, the, and, and they're serving communion, but it's Jack Daniels. And, and the religious people are just blowing a gasket. They're just having a, they're having a fit. But Jesus wasn't in there drinking and partying, partying. He was there. Now, if you can't go in a club without drinking and partying, then you don't know to go to the club. Some of you think you're missionary dating. No, you're just compromising. Jesus doesn't need that kind of help. Come on, somebody say amen. So, so he's at Matthew and they're having a party and, and, and he's telling them about who he is and Matthew's in awe and he, he's doing all he knew to do. And so once again, the religious leaders say, you're eating with the sinner. And he said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came to seek and save those that were lost. So Jesus heals a paralyzed man and they get mad at him. Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector and he gives all of it away and follows Jesus and they get mad at him for that. Just a chapter in the life of Jesus. Then we find him that a woman comes to him who has been bleeding for 12 years and he heals her. And then after he heals this woman, he goes into a home and he raises a 12-year-old girl from the dead. And then before that's over, he finds a blind man and he heals a blind man. And then a demon-possessed man comes up to him who can't speak. He's mute because of the demons. And Jesus casts the demon out of this man. And the man begins to speak. Just one chapter in the life of Jesus. I like Jesus. Anybody like Jesus? I like Jesus. I like what he does. We need to do what he did. I'm going to try over here. Dear Jesus. We need to do what he did. We need to love like he loved. We need to do what he did. And so he casts the demon out of this man and he begins to speak and the religious leaders get mad and all they have left, come on, this is pretty poor. They said, well, the way you did that is because you're part of the demons. Pretty sad, isn't it? You know, there is a, I, I won't call names and, you know, take role, but there is a certain element in the church that tell us miracles have ceased. That tell us signs and wonders don't exist anymore. They have conventions and, and, and conferences to tell us that Jesus isn't who he used to be. That he doesn't do what he used to do. That his word doesn't tell us it's available for today. But I have some news for you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Bible does not teach that miracles and the power of God have ceased. The Bible tells us that he's alive and well, that the gifts are in the body of Christ and that he's moving and working and he's a good, mighty God. Just in case you didn't know, and I don't want you to do this to make me happy. I don't want you to do it to look spiritual. 
I want you to be honest. If God has ever healed your body, if you've had a physical healing that you knew was from the Lord, documentable, I want you to raise your hand and keep it up for a moment. Well, look, come on. Keep it up for a moment. Can I tell you something? It's hard to argue with somebody that's got a testimony. You're not going to tell us here that Jesus doesn't heal anymore. You're not going to tell us here that he doesn't save and rescue and deliver anymore. He's faithful. And that's just one chapter in the life of Jesus. Now, I would think that if you read that, that if you take time to read Matthew 9, you'll read that. I I would think that if he is that powerful and able and mighty, he wouldn't need much from you and I. Why would he need us to get involved in this? But I want you to look in chapter 9 and go to verse number 35 with me. I took a little while to get you here. But what I want you to see is after all that he did and all that he does and everything that he is, are you listening to me, church? He calls us to partner with him in this thing. He calls us to partner with him. I want you to look at this with me. Verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, see, he had done all this. He had preached. He had taught. He, he, he saw the crowds. His heart was moved with compassion. And so what's the bottom line in chapter 9? How do we summarize everything we see Jesus is? What happens? Then he turned to his disciple, to you and I, to his disciples, to the church. This is what he said. The harvest is plentiful. There are Matthews everywhere. There are sick people everywhere. There are hurting people everywhere. There are desperate people everywhere. He turned to the disciples and he said, I want you guys to see something. The harvest is plentiful. Church family, I want to tell you something. Don't believe the lie that people aren't desperate for Jesus today. Don't believe the lie that God's not important today. Maybe the church hasn't done a good job of telling the story. Maybe the devil's done a better job of telling a lie. But don't misunderstand the bottom line. There are people hurting and looking for truth. And if we bring that to them, I'm going to tell you the harvest is plentiful. There's no shortage. So watch. The harvest is plentiful, so where's the shortage? Not on God's power, not on the people who are needing to hear the good news, but where's the shortage? The shortage is, look, are you reading with me? The workers are few. The only shortage in the kingdom of God are the people who will carry the message to the people that need to hear it. The only shortage in the plan of God, the only weak link in the supply chain to bring heaven to earth, It's finding people who will do what Jesus told us to do. He says the workers are few. So what did he do? Verse 38, uh, ask, or many translations say, pray. Jesus said, I have a prayer. Jesus had a prayer. Jesus said there's something he prays about. There's something heaven prays about. There's something we should be praying about. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, to send out workers And to his harvest field. It's amazing. I want you to look at a couple of words here. Go back to verse 35. And I want you to see why you and I being personally connected and involved in the harvest is critical. 
Because the, the good news of Jesus, hear me church, is not a theory. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just something we talk about on Sunday in a building and leave it here till we come back the next Sunday. Getting connected to the harvest, please hear me, is very personal and individual. But how does that happen for us? What did Jesus do? Look at these key words. Go to verse 35. Jesus, what's the next word? Jesus went. He didn't stay. He went. He moved out from his comfort zone. He moved into an arena where he knew just by doing what was right. Are you listening to me? They would call him a demon. Just because he told the truth, they would call him a devil. Just because he risked going against the status quo, they were going to intimidate him and criticize him and call him names. Why? Because he dared to tell the truth. But I want you to understand this. This harvest thing has to become personal. Jesus went. There has to be a moving from where I am to where the harvest is. Are you with me? So he went. Let's keep reading. The next thing, look at verse 36. When he saw... You and I are never going to see the need until we go from where we are. Until we move out of our comfort zone. Is everybody with me? This harvest thing is a theory. It's a, it was somebody else will do that or we'll send the missionaries or, or I'll write a check. No, no, no. He said, I have to go. I have to get in this thing. I have to go somewhere close enough where I can see with my own eyes what's going on around me. I can't afford to hide out. I can't afford to pay somebody to do it for me. I can't afford to be a theoretical Christian. This harvest thing is personal. So how do, how do I begin to get there? I have to go. Then I have to see. I want you to saw that, see that. So, so what happens? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Do you know how it will become real to you and I? Do you know how I'm going to feel the hurt? of the world I'm in, it's not going to happen staying in my comfort zone. I'm going to have to move out. I'm going to have to get close enough to see, and then I'm going to feel. We have a word the church uses that's wrong. How many times have you in church heard this word? Well, you know, I've even heard people say or pray this, God, give me a burden for hurting people. God, give me a burden for lost people. You know, we're praying, God, give me a feeling, and then I'll go. God says, if you go, then you'll get a feeling. God said, if you see, then you're going to feel. You're going to have to go. You're going to have to see. Then you're going to be moved. One translation said he was moved with compassion. Nothing will move me that I'm not in the middle of. Nothing will move me that I haven't seen. Nothing will move me till I've looked in the face of hunger, till I've heard the voice of hunger, till I've, I've seen the effects of hunger. It's not going to move me till I get close enough to see it. It's not going to move me until I say it matters to me. So what did he do? He saw. He, 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 and then he was moved. But what happened when he was moved? I'm just wanting you to see. Look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, You've got to join me in this thing. You've got to partner with me. We, we, we've got to do this. We, we have to do that. You know, I said a moment ago, I think uh, according to Scripture, the only shortage in the kingdom are workers. This word worker uh, is, is not an administrative word. It's not an online watching it word. I'm not talking about just church, my online family. I'm talking about those of us who live our life watching other people live. Anybody with me here? You guys are a little quiet this morning. I'm talking about this worker is a word that means your hands are on it. It means I got there and got my hands in it. 
I, I did some things that aren't in my circle, but there are people that God said, I need to get here. I need to touch you. I need to, I need to hear. I need to feel. I need to see. I need to know what this is about. It needs to make a difference to me. I've got to get out and get into the harvest. And when I do that, God says, I'm going to be with you. Look at, turn, turn to Matthew 28, verse 18. Just how he ends this chapter, this, this gospel, this story of Jesus. Matthew, I think it's amazing. What's the name of the book we're reading? What's the name of the book? Who wrote the book? <laughs> Matthew. You just read about him coming to Jesus. Isn't it amazing? That this is, this is the eyewitness account of a guy whose life was a train wreck, who lived just for himself, who became wealthy by ripping off his own family and neighbors, and then met Jesus and was so radically changed that he pushed all that away and became one of the disciples. And Jesus said, I can trust the Holy Spirit uh, to walk this man through this and write this down. So Matthew, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, tells us this. Matthew 28. In verse 18, then Jesus came to them after his death and resurrection. Jesus came to them. And what does he say? All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. That's how we can go with confidence. Are you with me? We're not intimidated. We're not afraid. Why? Because we serve the one that has all authority. So what does he tell us? He tells us, therefore, what? Go. What did he do? We read in Matthew 9, he went. What happens when we go, when we, when, when, when we get close, when we move out of comfort, when we, we see what's there? So he says, I want you to do this. Go, make disciples of whom? All nations. Sometimes I've had people say to me, Pastor, well, why are we sending missionaries around the world? We got problems right here in America. We sure do. So that's why we're working in America and around the world. Because Jesus told us to, right? So all authority, he said, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And what happens? What's the promise? And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You know, I, I, I showed you something last week. Just put the portrait up in case you missed it. And I want to I show you the Jesus model. We, we had this portrait that, that uh, I shared a message about six years ago. And I shared it last week. If, if you look at this, this, this portrait hung in the Louvre in Paris the most famous art gallery in the world. Uh, and, and it was called Checkmate because this wicked individual on the left had trapped this young, troubled individual. He had checkmated him in a game of chess. And this picture hung there for many years. And one day, a chess master who had heard about the portrait Checkmate came and he not only looked at the artwork and the, what was happening and the colors and the face and design, he began to study the chessboard. And as he studied it, he said, whoa, wait a minute. It's not checkmate. It's not checkmate. He said, this guy has, his king has one more move. And it undid the whole portrait that had been there for all these years. And I shared a message about the king has one more move. I thought about all these ladies that, 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 that stood up here today. The devil thought he had April. Come on. 19 years of addiction. Lose your children. Lose your family. Lose your hope. Lose your future. He had her. Checkmate. But the king had one more move. It's the Jesus model. It's the Jesus model. <laughs> you, you, think about it. Here's the disciples in a boat, in a storm, 
The water's coming over the boat. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They're about to drown. The devil's thinking, this is awesome. I'm going to kill the whole church in one fell swoop. They forgot something. Jesus was sleeping in the boat. And at the last minute when the devil thought he had killed the whole group of disciples, Jesus wakes up and the king has one more move. And he tells the storm, be quiet. And then there's the funerals that Jesus interrupted. He had some really bad manners. Everybody's wailing and mourning and the funeral's coming down the road and the widow's crying over her only son. And Jesus says, excuse me a minute. Boom, the king has one more move and the, little, the young man rises from the deathbed and God works. It's how he does his thing. The woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus just has this flair, if you'll permit me to say, for the dramatic. The lady's caught in the act of adultery. How humiliating, how embarrassing. According to Jewish law, she can be stoned to death. Now, I don't know why the guy with her, it's hard to commit adultery by yourself. But anyway, that's their law. We'll stay over here. So, you know, figure it, Mino, and should have been equal. But they got her. And they got the stones in their hand. And the plan is to embarrass Jesus. And they say, we caught her. There she is. What do you say? He's okay. Give me a minute. He starts to write in the dirt. I'd like to know what he wrote in the dirt. He probably looked up and says, oh, yeah. There's Thomas, the elder from the synagogue. Oh, he, so he wrote Thomas. And then he wrote something about Thomas that Thomas didn't think anybody knew. And one by one, they dropped the rocks and left. When you come to Jesus, the king always has one more move in your life. Just the way he works. But now see, now the modern church wants to say, well, Jesus just let her go. But he told her one more thing. He said, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to save your life today. But I'm also going to tell you, go and sin no more. See, the Jesus we serve not only has the power to forgive you, he has the power to transform you. It's not just what my sin's okay. Your sin's not okay. Your sin's killing you. Your sin's sending you to hell. Your sin is wrecking and ruining your family. Your sin is not okay. Your sin is not an excuse. Are you listening to me? Sin will send you to hell. Sin has to be dealt with. You can't just go to church and, 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 and do something and it's okay. No, you've got to repent and turn and walk away from your sin and be covered by the blood of Jesus. Sin is from hell. Sin will kill you. And Jesus doesn't just say, well, it doesn't matter. You hear people talk, we all sin every day and every week. Stop that and get your Bible open. What happens is he will forgive you. He will come move inside of you. And the spirit of life will set you free from the spirit of sin and death. And God will transform your life. Will you bat a thousand? Probably not. But when you get up, this is what I tell people. It's not my perfection. It's my direction. If I fall and get up, I'm going to make it. If I fall and get up, I'm going to make it. If I trip and mess up, I'm going to make it. It's not my perfection. It's my direction. With the grace of God in my life. Why? Because at my worst moment, the king had one more move for me. That's who he is. That's who we are. That's why the harvest is so important. That's why we could sit here and say, sit here and say, let someone else do that. Let someone else do kingdom builders. Let someone else pray and plan and say, God, you really want me to give some of my money to see people saved? And he said, yes.
And I bless you for that. That's what we do. Let me show you something. That, that's Jesus. The, the woman caught in adultery. The woman bleeding to death and he heals her. People that are hungry and he feeds them. He, and then the resurrection when the devil knew he had him dead. I read that verse last week that says that the powers of hell would have known what they were doing. They would not have crucified him. Because the king always has one more move. But I want you to see what this looks like today. I'm going to take a couple of minutes of my preaching time. Because I want you to see, one of the partners we work with is Project Rescue. It, it, it finds young women and men that have been trapped in human sex trafficking. And their lives are devastated beyond comprehension. I want you to see, I want it to be personal. So I want you to see like Jesus saw. I want you to feel like he felt. I want you to understand that we're not sitting here. With, with some fatalistic mindset saying, well, what can you do? We're doing something. And I want you to see Amy's testimony. Amy and her story represent for me one of the most tragic stories in global trafficking. If you're living in poverty in a nation in Africa, and someone offers you a job in Europe. Anything like that is incredibly hard to resist. So young African women will say yes to that opportunity, not realizing they're walking into horrific sexual slavery. The mafias will make sure that no girl will cross from Africa over to Europe without having done the voodoo ritual. It's a way of reinforcing the fear and the control and power over the girl. The police was so very bad, it's my bad. They take my nails, my hair, my underwear. They mostly listen to me. If I say anything to anybody, that's what brought me to Europe, even the police. The thing we came with, I was scared. Two days later, we leave Nigeria. Many souls that died. Some of my friends that we went together, some of them died in Libya. It's like dry land, let me go dry land. No food, no water. And I said, oh God, please. Just save me. That is just the only prayer I was praying. The sea was so very smelly, and I was crying, say, God, please save me. We left by 12 in the night. We see break fridge by 6 in the evening. I got the woman that brought me to you, she said, do you know what? And on Thursday, you're coming to Spain. And, you know, she arrived there, and uh, I think it was just a day or two later when she was told what she really was going to have to do. The first day I went to work, oh, God, I was just like, they say, I'm going to work in prostitution. I said, what? In prostitution? I don't have any choice. Even if 
I die. They don't care. Just to save myself and bring money to them. It's because they're so very bad, eh? So, so very bad. She said, we have to help you. They want me to come to save us. My first impression when I saw her was a really innocent, sweet girl. She looked so young. She was looking down. She looked, she was hiding her face. She was visibly scared. They started praying for me. Started asking me questions. How I'm like, how did I come to Europe? I made up my mind to stay in safe house. It's like God was knocking my heart. Like, open your heart, let me enter. My heart was so very close. So I opened it. This so that is how I give my life to him. Well, I feel so happy. Like, it's amazing. If I look at before and now, it's a very big difference. In a sense, she represents uh, all what we're doing and why we're doing it. What the enemy did to destroy her now has been resurrected. Now she is the victor. There's so many girls out there that aren't being rescued. There are hundreds of thousands of more who need the same opportunity. We are going to stop talking about it. We're going to act. And our commitment was to aim, but it's also to every other aim out there. There is nothing God cannot do. God can always change stories. No, I don't have any fear anymore. I'm so very free. Amazing story. It's really an amazing story. And, and, and did you hear him say there are hundreds of thousands of these girls? And so, Calvary, what do we say? We can't help hundreds of thousands, but who's the one that we're supposed to help? See, that's what matters to me. Who's the one we're supposed to help? Who's the ministry? How do we partner with them? How do we help them? How do we uh, allow them to find a king has one more move? To find out that that, that God can do something when it looks impossible. That when all hope is lost. And, and that's someone's daughter. That's someone's daughter. That's a little girl who thought she was getting a break and getting a job. And this is what happened to her. You've seen the movie, many of you, The Sound of Freedom. The United States, one of the largest consumers of child pornography and sex trafficking in the world. That's our country. And they're right here around us. And we're doing what we can. Where we are with what we have. And again, I have, I have people say to me at the time, Pastor, hundreds of thousands, you're never going to do that. I don't think we're going to do that by ourselves. But I think we can do what we can. I think we can make a difference here. You see, I want to close today with this, and, and, and I want to show you a passage in a moment. We'll close. But, but we're, we're at that point. See, it, it comes. It's called the opportunity. It's the opportunity to do something. I, I want to do what I can with the moment God gives us. I want to stand before God and say, I did what I could. I responded. I said, yes, I, I, I helped. I reached out. I, I partnered. Maybe, maybe we rescued one out of hundreds of thousands, but we rescued one. 
Maybe we brought one lady into the Dream Center. You saw this incredible group of ladies that are here full of hope, worshiping. Uh, there are hundreds of thousands more, but, but, but these aren't in that number anymore. And so before God, I can stand and say, I did what I could do. And maybe in a less dramatic way, we, we, we are growing. We're, God is doing great things, and our children's ministry is growing, and our student ministries are growing, and they're, they're running out of room. And, and, and our next plan, and our master plan here, is to build this building here on our parking lot to my left and your right, called a next-gen building for children and students and, and a daycare to minister to our community. But at this point in time, the, the, the money's just gone out of our reach. It's not gone out of God's reach. It's not too big for the God we serve. But while we're looking at the growth and, and, and doing everything we can to take that step, God gave us a chance to build this bridge building back here. And it was an opportunity, and, and we really didn't have that in our budget or in our plan. But how do you say no to an opportunity to make room for kids? How do you say no to make room for an opportunity for students? And tell me that the kids are standing, there's not room over there. Well, well, you've got to do something. You say, well, Pastor, is, is that a bit, little bit you know, oversimplistic, you just take a step of faith. Well, it probably is, but it's worked for 42 years. That's all I know to tell you. God's credit's really good around here. God's faithfulness is really good around here. I'm hopelessly uh, uh, trapped in this concept that if you say yes to God, he'll do something about it. If you look at an opportunity instead of hide from it, but step up to it, God will do something about it. So, so how, how is that building going to be built? Well, we're going to do it. We, we had a great work day yesterday. I, you need to walk through and look at that building. Here, here's the picture. I think, well, yeah, I, we got a picture of it. I want you to see it, it's, 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 it's kind of big in there. Look at that. Our God's put all these rafters up and we're, the back half of this or third is going to be our storage. We're going to get all of our storage in and save money from where we're renting that. And then this front's going to be for our children and our students. And it's an incredible thing. You ought to see it. And so how are we going to do it? You and I are going to do it. God is going to bless us. We're going to look at what we have and say, God, this is what I want to do. And in Kingdom Builders, you may want to designate something. You say, well, I, I want to give towards that building. You can do that. Or you can say, well, you know, I, I want to give to Project Rescue with these, those girls being sex trafficked. You can do that. Or, Pastor, I just want to be a part of, uh, of this whole thing and, and, and just respond where it's needed. You can do that. And so next week, I'm just asking us to come and have prayed this week. And I want you to do, I said, there's three words, plan, vision, dream. What's plan? Make a plan. And you say, well, well I, I can't do anything. Well, could you, could you stop one Starbucks a week? That's five bucks. At the end of the month, that's $20. That's a plan. Could you not buy that next pair of shoes? So, whoa, now you're, I, I don't know what I just said. Maybe those golf clubs can wait till next year. I mean, I'm just saying, that's a plan. That's a plan. What can I do? Look at what you have. Can I, put, can I take it from here, put it over there? Give it to God. That's a plan. Maybe I'm going to uh, get a side hustle. Give that money to God. Then you go over here to vision. And, and it's past the plan. Plan is what I think I can do. And vision is when you begin to pray and, and you get over in this place. And, and then you say, what does God want me to do? And it gets scary and exciting. I, I'd rather be scared than bored. Or anybody, maybe I'm the crazy guy. You know what I'm saying? Anybody here rather be scared than bored? I want to live while I'm here. <laughs> anybody else? Want, I want to live while I'm on this planet. I just don't want to suck up air and take up space. I like to make a difference. So I, so I like to find out what God thinks about things. So I have to pray. That's called vision. And I said, so God, what about this kingdom builders deal? You want me to be a part of that? 
What do you want to do through me? See, that's not about me. I'm not the source anymore. You get that? On the plan, I'm the source. On the vision, I'm praying and say, God, what do you want to do? Maybe you commit a percentage of your income to that. Maybe you say, I'm starting this or I'm believing that or I'm going to step in this area. God, just what do you want to do? That's a vision. See, so there's what I could do and there's what does God say he wants to do through me? That's vision. Then the last one is dream. And I say, you, you, you know, you, you don't tell people that because they'll think you're crazy. Dream is just between you and God. And you get along, you're praying. And when you pray and you get along, you get this other stuff away. You start dreaming, saying, God, what if? What if you could use me to give a million dollars? God, what if Calvary together, what if we could build three of those homes for those girls? God, what if together we could, we, we could change this, we could feed that, we could do this. See, that's a dream. You just dream. Don't put a limit on God. Amen. Don't put a limit on God. Just keep some dream space. Keep some God room in your life. And that's what happens. I want you to, we're going to end with this. Let, 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 let's go to this. We're going to end for today. Mark 6, verse 35. Turn there and we're going to end. Mark 6, verse 35. How many still with your pastor today? Thank you. Thank you for letting me share the heart of God with us today. Mark chapter 6 and verse 35. I love this. Look, look at this. I'd love to really just break this down. Don't have time. We're going to end. Are you ready? Are you following along with me? Uh, okay, I've got my Bible up. Here it is. Look at this. <clears throat> By this time, it was what? Late in the day. Do you feel like we're late in the day? To the coming of the Lord? I do. Do you know that Israel starting a war could kick off a, a world war? Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Do you realize that everything you read in the book of Revelation could go into motion in 24 hours? Do you understand that? I, I think it's late in the day. You know, what if we're the generation that's on this earth when Jesus comes back? What if we were the last church to have a chance to get in the harvest field? What if he chose us and trusted us to do the right thing when it's late in the day? I'm just asking, okay? It was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. Look at this. They said, so Lord, this is a remote place. It looks to me like we're out of luck, okay? And it's already very late, got worse. Send the people away so they can go surrounding countryside. Watch this. Here was the human response. You send them away and let them feed themselves. Let them go buy something, okay? That was the human answer. It's not my concern. It's not my problem. It's late in the day. We're in a remote place. I don't know these people. Just let them go get something to eat. It's their problem. It's not my problem. It's their problem. Are you following me? Uh, so look at verse 37. Jesus says, well, that wasn't my plan. I want you to feed them. Can you see the shock? We just jumped off a plan with the vision, didn't we? He said, I want you to feed them. So what did they say? They said, look. Watch this. I think the terminology is important. It says, that would take more than half a year's wages. My translation says, listen to this. It said, that would take eight months of a man's wages. You know what they kept saying? Man can't do this. You're asking me to do something I can't do. Okay? Let's keep going. So, uh. So they says, so he says, uh, uh, he says, go find something. Go find something. He says, okay, verse 38, how many loaves do you have? They said, uh, he said, go see. 
Go pray. Quit saying I don't have anything and go see what you have. Do you get that? When they found out, they said, we got five loaves and two fish. Verse 39, Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, not what they didn't have, but what they had. Everybody with me? Not what they didn't have, but what they had. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking to heaven, he gave thanks. See, God will never be disappointed in you doing what you can. He will always accept you doing what you can. When they gave him what they had, he said, Father, I'm so thankful. This is good. See, isn't that exciting? It's not what you don't have, it's what you have. So he, 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 he looked to heaven, he gave thanks, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples and set before the people. Now, are you with me? The miracle hadn't happened yet. He still just had five loaves broken in a few pieces, two fish broken in a few pieces. No miracles yet. But when he put them in the hands of the disciples <laughs> and they set them before the people, verse 42, They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. When man stopped trying to feed them and they turned to God, they all ate and were satisfied. Look at this quote. I want you to see this. We're going to pray after this. This is from Robert Morris. Look, he said, the miracle didn't happen in Jesus' hands. It happened in the hands of the disciples. And it happened when they did what he told them to do, even though it didn't make sense. How many like that? The miracle didn't happen in Jesus' hands. He put it in the disciples' hands. And when they just started doing what he told them to do, everybody got fed. You know what I just believe? I want to be one of those disciples. I want to be at the place when the king decides, I got one more move. (laughs) That he says, okay, Calvary, here's my stuff. Okay, Calvary, I'm going to use you. I'm going to do the miracle in your hands. I want you to stand with me. Come on, let's stand. I want us to pray because you know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced there's some people in this room that needed to be reminded that the king has one more move today. I believe some people in this room that need to be reminded, you know, right now, God is for me and not against me. How many can say amen to that at this moment? Some people need to be reminded that you haven't gone too far, that you haven't waited too long, that your sin hasn't been too great. Is somebody hearing me right now? That your situation is not too impossible. That you may be looking at it and say, it's gotten really late, Jesus. Now, I can tell you some things. Listen to me. I'll be honest. I have thought Jesus has been too late for me a few times. But I forget the king has one more move. (laughs) Anybody ever thought Jesus missed the moment? Come on, tell the truth. You know why? Because I was on my calendar. And I wasn't on his calendar. Has anybody ever thought God asked you to do something you didn't have the ability to do? You know what the problem is with us? If we don't do it, we never see the greatness of this God. So I'm going to ask you today, wherever you are in this place, I want you to remember that God's for you, not against you. That God can do something that you can't imagine he can do. That even if you thought it's dead and over, he's the God of the resurrection. That's who he is. And God can take things that man said is impossible and show you who he is. In fact, if you've never been in an impossible moment, you've never had a chance to see God do what only God can do. If I've lived my whole life in this little George-sized circle, I've never seen God's stuff. But until I step out of that and and, and I'm looking at 5,000 men and their families, can you imagine 20,000 people hungry looking at you? And you have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, Father, I just thank you for the five loaves and the two fish. Come here, guys. All right, here it is. Go feed them. 
Can you imagine that first step turning away from Jesus with crumbs and a fishtail in your hand? And you're turning around and 20,000 people are going. And so, you know what they could have done? They could have stood there in front of Jesus and say, I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to put that. I'm not going. You do it first. But you know what they did? Somehow they'd learn. If he says go, probably should go. If he says feed, just, just go feed him. And you know what you and I need in our lives today? We need an encounter with God like that. We need an encounter with the living God where we're reminded he's big. He's here. He's got a plan for me. He wants to use me. He's about to do miracles in my hands. So I want us to pray together today. Come on, let's pray right now. Let's pray. And guys, we're going to sing just worship. Just, God, I'm available. Will anybody be available today to God? Would you pray that prayer and just say, God, I'm available. I'm available. I'm available. Today, I want to encourage the, the wife praying for a marriage that looks impossible. The king has one more move, ma'am. Today, for the parent worrying about that prodigal son or daughter, I want to tell you, the king has one more move. For that person who got a diagnosis, and, and I thank God for our doctors and all they do, but I can tell you that when we've done the best of the best, the king can have one more move in your life. I want to say for the person battling addiction and you've tried everything. Do you know some of these ladies have told us they've been in 12 and 13 and 14 recoveries, some, uh, you know, rehab, and it didn't work. But when Jesus steps in, the king has one more move. Your finances, you've been trying. Single mom, you've been stressing. You've been trying to make it. Listen, ma'am, the king has one more move for you. The king has one more move. We got a testimony I want to bring to you, a lady in our church that had a position in a business and they said, you're already beyond your position. You shouldn't have this position because of your education. You don't qualify, but we're going to let you stay there because you're doing a good job. And then the manager over the entire thing moved and they put her in the job and they said, it doesn't make sense. We've never done it before, but you're the person. The king had one more move. The family had one more provision. God just wanted a chance to say, don't underestimate me. Let me show you who I am. Today, I believe we need to pray for each other because there's an anointing on us to say I'm available. And today, I'm not going to ask you to come out of your seat, but I'm asking you to do something. If you're facing an impossibility physically, spiritually, in your family, in your finances, and it just looks like it's really late. Anybody got that feeling? I'm late. It's late. I don't know if it's going to happen. But I want you just to put your hand up. We're going to pray for you right now. Come on. It's by, you say, I've, I've got it. It feels late to me right now. If you know that person, or you don't, would you put your hand on their back right now? Come on. Just reach over. Put your hand on their shoulder. Come on. We're the household of God. Don't let anybody. If their hand's up, somebody needs to pray for them. I see some hands without people praying. Come on. Come on. Just go where they are. Look around you. You can get out of your seat, out of your row. If you see anybody, come on. Slip over there to them. Come on. I need, I need some right here. Bill. Uh, there's right there behind you. Come on. Uh, are you ready? Come on. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just say to you today, it's not too late. It's not over. You're faithful. You're good. You're merciful. You're kind. What's impossible with men is possible with God. Lord, the miracle may not happen until we go. The miracle may not manifest until we begin to say, God, here I am. God, all we can do is what you told us to do. And that's where the miracle happens. It happens when in our hands we start doing something with it. It happens when we go, when we see, when we feel, when we do what we can do. God, that's where you walk in. That's where you show up. 
That's where you're with us. That's where you're for us. That's where you anoint us. That's where we are reminded you're a big, great, gracious, mighty God. You're God. And you're looking for places to step in. You want to show the king has one more move. But you need somebody in your hand. You need somebody to be the king. You need somebody to be the resource God. You want to show yourself strong. So God, you see the hands. You see the hearts. You see the lives. We don't take any one of these for granted. Every one of them matter. They matter like they're the only one to you, God. We pray for each other. We bless each other. God, we ask you to take the impossible and show up big time. We ask you to find the moment that we thought was too late and show us your God. Step in, Lord. Move in a mighty way. Heal sick bodies. Restore families and homes. Bring healing. Bring deliverance. Bring restoration. God, do what you do. Jesus, do what you do. Heal the sick lady. Rescue the woman trapped. Bring life where there's death. Bring hope where there's despair. Feed where there's hungry. Show up in this place, God. Work through us, Father. Thank you for the incredible trust that when you looked at the harvest and your heart was moved, you looked to us and said, go do it, I'll be with you. Go do it, I'll be for you. Go do it, I'll show up, God. Thank you. We didn't earn it. We didn't earn it. But your hand's on us, and you've called us, and we say we're available to you today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, we're available. Thank you, God, here we are. We thank you. We thank you, God. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message.